Greetings, brethren. Welcome to day 49 in the count of Pentecost, and tomorrow will be Pentecost. Now, when we come to Leviticus 23, because this is where we always start, since all the holy days are mentioned right here in this one place, according to the dates on the calculated Hebrew calendar. So let's come to Leviticus 23, and let's see how we get from the Feast of Unleavened Bread to day 49, and then day 50. So let's read it here. After telling them about the commands for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verses 6 and 7, now verse 9, And here's where a great deal of confusion has come into the church of God, for many, many years, and some of them still believe the error of Herbert W. Armstrong. And one of the reasons that the church never understood about Pentecost and the true meaning of it, that it pictures the resurrection, is because they kept it on a Monday, the second day of the week, instead of on the first day of the week as the proper count is. And when it came time for understanding the proper counting, Herbert Armstrong said, well, God bound Pentecost on Monday for 40 years. Now that's not true. Has God ever bound Sunday, or any of the holidays of this world? No. So let's read the command here, beginning in verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land. So they did not observe Pentecost until they came into the land. The only Pentecost they observed was, in the wilderness, they may have observed Pentecost in commemoration of the giving of the Ten Commandments. But they did not have the wave sheaf offering that was waved during unleavened bread. All right? When you come into the land which... I give to you and shall reap the harvest of it. Then you shall bring the premier sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the next day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Now the Jews have an error in that because they say that is the first holy day of Feast of Unleavened Bread. But that only occurs on a rare occasion. That rare occasion is this, that when Passover falls on a Sabbath, taken Friday night, Passover day, 
And Passover day is an unleavened bread day. So then, the next day after the Sabbath is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? Which means then, the last day of Unleavened Bread is the next Sabbath. So this brings up another error as well. There are those who say that when it occurs in this manner, that you take the first day of the week after the last day of unleavened bread, which then takes the wave sheaf offering outside the days of unleavened bread, which is not correct. The other error that is that was found was this. Worldwide Church of God, and some people even today, because they, they idolize Herbert Armstrong more than Christ, he counted away from the day after the Sabbath and began his count on a Monday, which meant that for all those years in Worldwide, they kept Pentecost on a Monday instead of, which then is the second day of the week, okay? So, it must be on the first day of the week. So let's read the command here. And you shall offer, that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb without blemish, of the first year for a burnt offering to the Lord, and a grain offering shall be two-tenths parts of fine flour mixed with oil, and an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet savor, a drink offering shall be of wine, a fourth part of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain, nor green ears until the same day until you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Then he begins how to count. Now, this is interesting because everything involving Pentecost, beginning with the count of it and the meaning of it, is the longest command for a holy day in Leviticus 23. So that also shows the importance of it. Okay? Verse 15. And you shall count to you beginning with the day, not from the day, being misinterpreted by Herbert Armstrong as the day after the first day of the week after the regular Sabbath. Beginning with the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, so you must count that day. Now, we know and understand that that wave sheaf offering pictured the resurrected Christ ascending to heaven. 
Now, the Protestants have it all wrong. They think he was raised on that day from the dead. No, he was raised from the dead three days after he had died. And he was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights before he came out of the tomb. And then in the morning, and Mary Magdalene came along very early, and she was going to prepare spices to anoint his body even more. But the tomb had been sealed really tight by the Romans, and they had guards there. Okay, So when Mary Magdalene came, the stone had been rolled back. Now she didn't she didn't go look into it. She ran to tell the apostles that the tomb was open. And when they came there, they didn't find the body of Jesus. Now, right here's another error that I have mentioned before, that there are those who believe the lie of Herod to the soldiers that they were sleeping. And the disciples came and stole the body away. So a variation on that is Jesus never died. They revived him, took him, and he lived, and he married Mary Magdalene, and they went into Spain, and he died in Spain. And the Society of the Brotherhood of the Bloods say that he's buried in Spain. Huh. Think of all the heresies that surround the things concerning Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Because when Mary Magdalene came, the first day of the weeks, that is the first day of counting toward Pentecost, he was not there. And the angel told, told her he's risen from the dead. And she didn't really understand that. So the first day to count is the day of the waving of the premier sheaf. Now that was a type of Christ's ascension and acceptance by God the Father. Continuing here. Beginning with the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete, or seven weeks shall be complete, as we find in Deuteronomy 16. Count seven weeks, then one day. Now notice what it says. Verse 16, Even unto the day after the seventh Sabbath, you shall number fifty days. Question. Is Monday the day after the seventh Sabbath? No, because there's the first day of the week 
in between the second day and the seventh. And then it says here, a new grain offering. Now we'll get to that tomorrow and what that means. But we need to understand that this feast of the first fruit is very important for us, for the plan of God, how we fit into it, and everything like that. Now let's come to Exodus, and we'll look at a couple of places, and we will see what? We will see that God places an awful lot of emphasis on the first fruits. Okay? Now, Exodus 23, verse 14. Now, here's something also to understand when you read these sections, which is this. The holy days are mixed in with other commandments. And it does, on a couple of occasions, follow the explanation of the weekly Sabbath. But notice what it is here. Exodus 23 and verse 12. Six days shall you do your work on the seventh day, you shall rest, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your handmaid and the stranger may be rejuvenated. And of course, they were to rest too. And be watchful to all that I have said to you. Make no mention of other gods, neither let it be heard out of your mouth. You shall keep a feast unto me three times a year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you in the time appointed, the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt, and no one shall appear before me empty. Now notice verse 16. Also, the feast of the harvest of the firstfruits of your labor, which you have sown in the field. Okay, that's where the grain offering comes in on the day after the Sabbath during unleavened bread. And then again, the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gathered in your labors out of the field. So there we go. Okay, then he says, verse 17, three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. Okay? Now notice verse 19. This is interesting. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Okay? Now that was a practice of the pagans with some of their offerings. All right? The first of the first fruits. Who was the firstborn from the dead? Christ. See? So all of these come into picture in Christ. All right? Now let's see some others concerning this. He also says this in, in um, 
Exodus 34, he says the same thing about it. But let's come to Deuteronomy 26. Because Deuteronomy 26 will tell us, very importantly, how much that the first fruits, the firstborn, and the first of everything mean to God. And what they are to mean to us. So, let's begin right in verse 1, all right, Deuteronomy 26. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance and possess it and live in it. Now, God wants us to live. He wants us to possess. He wants us to worship him his way. That's what's important, see? And especially when we come to the New Testament and the importance of the New Testament church. It's an amazing thing how all of these things from what we call the Old Testament are contained in the law apply and are fulfilled in the New Testament. And the whole meaning of the first fruit of everything that you have applies to, as we will see tomorrow, the first resurrection. See? All right. Let's read on. You shall take the first of all the fruit of the earth which you shall bring of your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place which the Lord your God shall choose to place his name there. That was at the temple. Later, when they received their inheritance and the land, they had cities for the priest. They had additional cities for the Levites. And they could take their first fruits to the priest right close at hand. And then what he could bring to the temple, he could bring to the temple when he went to his course to work in the temple. Okay. Now notice verse 3, and you shall give it to the priest in those days and say to him, I profess today to the Lord your God now, notice this profession. We need to think about it in our relationship to God the Father and Jesus Christ today as well. Okay? Remember what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, notice what he says here. And this is what you shall say. I profess today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And a priest shall take the basket out of your hand and lay it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall declare and say before the Lord your God. Now listen to what is said here. And this is a type of us coming out of the world. 
a type of God calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Continuing, My father was Assyrian, ready to perish, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and many. And the Egyptians ill-treated us and afflicted us and laid hard bondage upon us. And when we cried to the Lord God our Father, the Lord heard our voice and looked upon our affliction and our labor and oppression. And the Lord brought us out from Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with awesome might and with signs and wonders. Now, it's the same way with our calling and God calling us. He calls us out of the world, see, to be a part of his church, to be a part of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now, that's how important this is. And that's how important that our calling is. Let's go forward here. He has brought us into this place and has given us this land, a land that flows with milk and honey. Now we're coming into the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God. And what else? New Jerusalem. See? So all of this projects forward in everything that is done. So here's they continue what the the individual is to say. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the stranger in in your midst. Now, that was really something, okay? That's how important it was. Now, this also shows us something else. When you look back to the offering of Cain, he brought it from the land, correct? But why did God not accept his offering. Let's ask another question. Didn't God accept the offering of the one brought brought the first fruits of everything to be before the Lord? The answer, yes. So this tells us that the offering by Cain was of his own devising and not of God. Because God said to Cain, if you do well, you shall be accepted. But if you do not well, sin lies at the door. Huh. Think of that. The offering he brought was not proper. Therefore, it was sin. Now, then God goes on showing here 
some other things that are important after that. So let's read a little bit of this. Verse 12, And when you have made an end to tithing all the tithes of your increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levites, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that they may eat inside your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have brought away the holy things out of my house, also have given them to the Levite, to the stranger, to the fatherless, to the widows, according to your commandment, which you have commanded. Notice the next sentence. How important this is. I have not broken your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. Very important. See, that's why we do what we do. And that's why we keep what we keep. Because that's what God wants. Anything that is devised by men will not work. Now, let's apply that to what happened in the church when they kept a Monday Pentecost. It was not according to the commandments of God, was it? No. And it took 40 years of pounding on Herbert Armstrong to get him to understand the proper count. And when the proper count came, he didn't give God the credit. And I know because I was there with the ministerial council when they were going through this meticulously. And I remember the first Pentecost that we had I was pastoring in the Los Angeles and Torrance area at the time close to Pasadena. And for our day of Pentecost, we had a leading evangelist, Gerald Waterhouse, come down to bring the message. And one of the other elders gave the sermonette. And I led the music, read the announcements, and introduced the speakers. And I made the comment that very day, that very first Pentecost that we were keeping in WCG with Gerald Waterhouse sitting right down in front of me. And I said very casually, well, today, brethren, we're keeping Pentecost for the first time on the correct day. And who knows? This will probably show that the resurrection is on Pentecost. Now, if Gerald Waterhouse had been paying attention, he would have ripped me in shreds for saying that. So, a comment was true, and that proved right later on. Okay? So here it is. Then he talks about the land Sabbath. Then he talks about the Jubilee. All of these are important to keep.
Okay, welcome back, brethren. We'll continue on with day 49 and the harvest. Now, the harvest was seven weeks, okay? And tomorrow, we're going to talk about the firstborn. So, this means that God is involved with everything that there is that reproduces itself. Now, isn't that something? Now, think about how great that is. Take a tree. Apple tree, whatever kind. Okay? You harvest a harvest, and then after the harvest and it starts getting into wintertime, all the leaves come off and the tree looks barren, nothing on it. Then the springtime comes and it starts sprouting the leaves and then the blossoms and then the apples and you have the harvest again the next year. Automatic. So that's something. God set that in motion, see? All right. So here we have the grain. Same thing with the grain. You plant it, it grows, you harvest it. Now we will see how this ties in with the plan of God and the first resurrection. All right? Now he spoke to the multitudes in parables. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? So the disciples wanted to know, why do you speak to them in parables, verse 10? Now notice Jesus' answer. Now I want you to mark this verse and really think about it and how important it is, how important it is what we have that God has given us and our relationship with God and with the Spirit of God within us. And I want you to understand, and maybe we can grasp it to a fairly good degree But when you look at the world and you see the things that are going on in the world and you wonder what's going on and who am I and what am I and what are all the other brethren that God has called, what are we? Well, we're God's called and chosen and faithful. But the world doesn't know us. But we're the future rulers of the kingdom of God, along with all the saints from Abel to the end with the first resurrection, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But I want you to notice verse 11. And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know That knowledge comes from God through his word, by his spirit, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. 
Okay. Because it has been given to you. It has to be given. Okay. It's not something all the theologians can study, think about, get the best brains in the world to come together and let's determine what the plan of human beings is. Huh? And of course, they may even bring in the Bible, but they virtually leave it out. Now we have one psalm, Psalm 111 and verse 10, which is a key to understanding. Blessed are those who keep his commandments, okay? for they shall have a good understanding. That's why we keep the commandments. That's why we love God. Isn't that one of the commandments? Yes, indeed. Okay. Given to you to know. Now, this is why everything we do has to be based on the Word of God. All right? It had been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It is a mystery to them and a mystery to us that only God can reveal what it means. And that's hidden in the Sabbath and the holy days. That's why we have the book, God's Plan for Mankind Revealed, has to come from God. By his Sabbath, the key connection to God, and his holy days. Now think on that. But notice what he also says here. But to the rest of the world, but to them it has not been given. You cannot know unless God gives you understanding, and you cannot have understanding unless you believe him and obey him. That's the simplicity of Christ. Now notice what else he says, and we'll see this is true. Always happens this way. Whenever a false doctrine comes along, they lose understanding. Isn't that true? Yes, let's read it. For whoever has understanding to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. So that's why we stay close with the truth of God, always, always. The ways of men just don't work. Now, it may sound good when you hear it, but will it work? In the long run, no. Why? Because there's the way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Is that not the lesson of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Yes. Now continuing, But whosoever does not have understanding, even what he has, shall be taken away from them. And that's precisely what we're seeing happening in the world today. 
what understanding that people have concerning law and order and good and evil it being taken away from them because they have rejected God and Satan is out of the closet and the demons are swarming everywhere. For this reason I spoke to them in parables because seeing they see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, In hearing you shall hear, and in no way understand. And in seeing you shall see, and in no way perceive. Now, God doesn't have to do a thing. It's automatic. Because his laws and his word are the living truth of God. So those who will not love God and keep his commandments will never understand. Automatically. It's impossible to get to to know because why? It has to be given by God to us through his word and through his spirit and through walking in the way of God. Now I want you to put this in your notes because I'll bring a message on it later. But that has to do with Psalm 25 because we all must be taught of God. Right here, here it is. Now, in addition to that, the the way that the world, the way they can't understand it is because Satan has blinded their eyes so that they don't know. They will not know. Verse 15, For the heart of this people has grown fat. In other words, Through everything that they have, they're pleased with their pleasures and their delights and what they want to do. And Satan has given them plenty of it, so they're content. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal heal them. Isn't that something? Their conversion will come later. Our conversion is now. See? Because we are willing to repent. And we have to choose to repent. We have to choose to love God. Okay? So he says this. Now I want you to think about everything that you know concerning the word of God. And everything that we have concerning the word of God. See? And if we yield to Christ, we're praying, we're studying, we're growing, we're overcoming. Here's what will happen. Verse 16, 
but blessed are your eyes because they see. You can understand truth from error because you keep the truth, you love the truth, you live by the truth. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and God is a God of truth. That's how that happens. And blessed are your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you have seen and to hear what you hear and have not heard. So think about the blessing of living in this age, even in spite of all the difficulties that are all around us. And I submit to you that down through the history of the church, they have always had difficulties. See? Why? Why does that happen? Well, Jesus said it would, right? Right? He said, broad is the way that leads to death. Narrow is the way that leads to life and difficult. That's why the first resurrection is the most fantastic thing we can be part of. Okay? So after all of this, he said, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When one hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, the wicked one comes and snatches that which was sown in his heart. Does Satan work in the minds and hearts of people? Yes, indeed. Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 3. The prince of the power of the air. He appeals to the lust of the heart, the lust of the mind, the pride of life. This is the one who was sown by the way, because the seed went there, and it didn't have any depth, so nothing took place. Now to the one who was sown upon the rocky places is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Oh, they get all excited. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, oh my, I want to be baptized immediately. Then difficulties come. But because he has no root in him, in himself, he does not endure. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he is quickly offended. Because you don't have deep roots. All right? Verse 22, and the one who is sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word of God, but the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It's like a man, Bill Wax, one of our elders, was talking to, and he was a, a Baptist, and he said to him, you know that the Bible says the Sabbath is the seventh day, and that's from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Now, he was a good faithful, this man, a good faithful Sunday keeper. So 
Bill asked him, uh, why don't you keep it? He knows it. And all the preachers know it. How many others know it? But don't do it. You know what he said? He said, I can't bring myself to do it. Quite a statement, isn't it, huh? Huh. There it is right there. Unfruitful. Verse 23. But the one who was sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears the word and understands, and who indeed brings forth fruit and produces. Now that means living by every word of God. That's what he's talking about. One hundredfold, another sixtyfold, another thirtyfold. So that's quite an amazing thing, isn't it, huh? So then he put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who was sowing good seed in the, in his field. Now, this is the way it is in the world. Okay, We're scattered in the world, everywhere in the world, right? Now, notice. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who is sowing good seed in his field. But when men were sleeping... Now, sleeping is when you're not paying attention, right? (laughs) Let us not sleep, lest we fall into temptation. Okay? But while men were sleeping, his enemy came. Who's the enemy? Satan, the devil, and the demons, correct? False teachers, yes. Coming in sheep's clothing. Yes, appearing as ministers of righteousness. Yes. And so tares among the wheat and went away. And when the blade sprouted and produced fruit, then the tares appeared. So you can't tell the difference until it's time for the fruit or the grain of the heads of grain to come and appear. But the terrors do not reproduce. They do not bring additional life. And the servants came to, to the master of the house and said to him, Sir, did we not sow good seed in your field? Then where did these terrors come from? How did this happen, Lord? That's quite a thing, isn't it, huh? And he said to them, A man who is an enemy has done this. Then the servant said, Do you want us to go out and gather them, that is, take them out? And he said, No. Lest while you are gathering the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. When is the harvest? At the end of the age. 
And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather the tares first, bind them into bundles to burn them, and gather the wheat into my granary. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Okay? The granary. What does that represent? Now remember this. Every good seed, after it is harvested, okay, has life in it. So likewise, when we die and our spirit returns back to God, our spirit is like the grain stored for future eternal life combined with the Spirit of God. So all of those who die in the faith, their spirit is returned to God, and that's where what they are waiting for. That's why he put it this way. Then he spoke another parable, verse 31. Another parable he presented to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is compared to a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is very small among all seeds. But after it is grown, it is greater than all the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of heaven come and roost in its branches. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? How much are we to grow? How much are we to produce? See? That's why we walk by faith. We believe in hope. We live in love. Okay? All of that. That's what God wants us to do. So then he gave another parable. All of these parables of the kingdom of God are talking about all the events in the seven weeks leading up to the harvest of the first fruits. Okay? Another parable. Now, this is one that seems to contradict the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, leaven is a type of sin, correct? Yes, indeed. But is leaven Always sin? No. So let's look at this verse and see what that means. Okay? Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is compared to leaven. Now, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, can't be compared to sin because it's nothing but righteousness. Isn't that correct? Yes. So what does this mean? Well, leaven grows, takes the dough and puts it into another form, and when it is baked, it is permanent and it's bread. As long as it's still in the dough, if it rises up, you can crush it back down again. And it will rise again. 
So this parable pictures the good action of the Holy Spirit. Just like the work of leaven is unseen, so the work of the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts is unseen by anybody else except those of us who are growing in grace and in knowledge. Right? So there it is. So this is the good work of leaven. Now we'll see that tomorrow because the offering to be brought on Pentecost was leavened loaves of baked bread. Huh. All right. Let's go on. Kingdom of heaven is likened or compared to leaven, which a woman took and hood in three measures of flour until all was leavened. Jesus spoke all these things to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them, so that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. In other words, the plan of God from the beginning. This is what he's teaching us. Do we understand that? Do we know that? Yes, indeed. Okay. So then the disciples wanted to know about the terrors. They could understand all the other parables to a certain extent. So they said, tell us the parable of the terrors in the field, verse 37. And he answered and said to them, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Christ. Okay. How does he do that? Well, we find in Revelation, the first chapter, that he's the firstborn from the dead, and we'll see more of that tomorrow. All right? And then he has seven spirits that he controls. And these seven spirits go around the world looking for those who are trying to find God. And then the call goes out to that individual or individuals and see if they will answer that call and come to Christ and believe. Okay. So the seed goes out. Now the seed is also the word of God. How much out there is out there today in the world? Counting all the printed Bibles and all the digital Bibles and all of the studies that go with it. An amazing amount. But how many people understand and come to God? All right. So he continues explaining, verse 38, And the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Think of that. Those in the world who follow Satan are called what? The children of the wicked one. Now the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. We'll see that tomorrow in Revelation 14. Therefore, 
the tares are gathered and consumed in the fire. So shall it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all the offenders and those who are practicing lawlessness. That's going to be something. So this is why we have to live in the world and be faithful and understand what God wants us to understand. Now notice what he says. Verse 42. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. The one who has ears, let him hear. Okay? So we need to have ears to hear. Now let's come and see some interesting things here. Let's come to 1 John, and let's see what John wrote concerning the things of the resurrection and concerning the harvest of the righteous. 1 John 3. Let's begin right here in in verse 1. This is really quite a good section of Scripture. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, when I read this, when we and we have read this how many times, Think about this. Think about your calling. And let's think about what we have been called to. And then when we look at the circumstances we are in, in many cases they're difficult indeed, but compare that to this promise. And a promise that God cannot, will not, never has, and never will lie. Verse 1, 1 John 3. Behold, that means pay attention. What glorious love the Father has given to us that we can understand his word, that we know he loves us, that we love him, that Jesus died for us and is our sacrifice and shed blood by whom we are healed with his stripes and by whom we receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. That we should be called the children of God. That's the whole purpose, right there. See? Let's read on. For this very reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And they don't know him. See, if they don't keep his commandments, they don't know him. They know of him, but they are tares without fruit. They look good, they sound good, they act good, 
but they're not. Quite an amazing thing indeed. All right? Beloved, now, see, just like a child in the womb is a child and living, not yet born, but will be at the proper time. Now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed at the time that John wrote this. We see later on that it is revealed what we shall be like. Okay? Not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is manifested, that is in his return, we shall be like him. Now notice the rest of this sentence. Because we shall see him exactly as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. That's an amazing thing. Let's come to chapter 5. Okay, John 5. Let's come back here to verse 10, okay? The one who believes in the Son of God has witness in himself, that is, through the Holy Spirit. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has witnessed concerning his Son. And this is the witness that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That's what the begettle of the Holy Spirit is, the, the seed of eternal life from God the Father. See? That's why the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Firstfruit, the Feast of the Firstborn, is so important and powerful. And why? In Leviticus 23, it is the longest commandment of all. The holy days. Okay? And this is the witness that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has eternal life, the one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. No halfway in between. Sorry about that, Protestant. Verse 13, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are to know that. We're to understand that. We are to realize that. Okay? And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Here's where prayer comes in. And this is why we have to believe God. Now, when we pray... He will answer us. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, 
sometimes immediately, sometimes later on. But he always answers our prayer. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we may have the request that we have asked of him. Okay. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, let's come to Ephesians, the first chapter. This is quite a thing. Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 are some of the most inspiring that we can have in the New Testament. See? So that we realize and we understand our calling, why we're here, where we're going, what we're doing, what we're believing, what we are teaching, what we are preaching, what we are writing, how we live our lives. And yes, when we come to the end, and for many of us, the place of safety will be our grave. And when death comes, it's not easy. But when we die in the faith, we are guaranteed the resurrection to life. Just like when the harvest takes place with wheat, the stem and the blades all go. The grain remains. There's life in the grain. When it's planted, it sprouts and grows again. Okay, a type of resurrection and growing in grace and knowledge. Now, Ephesians, the first chapter. And here is very important that we always begin with the first couple of verses because Paul writes these to sanctify what is being written. To show that it comes from the inspiration of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Not the writings of men, not just the writings of Paul, but the writings of God, as Paul is the scribe. And that's what we all are as, as elders and serving the people. We're not an end to ourselves. Our authority is to teach and to preach. Not to rule, not to oppress, not to rob and take from, but to serve. So that we all grow in grace and knowledge. So this is why he always opens every one of his epistles with a salutation from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Paul, an epistle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So that goes out in time for everything. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That grace, peace, understanding, love, 
truth, confidence, all of that together, see, all comes from God. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now, this is also now and in the future. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly things with Christ. When God has pronounced that it will be, it is as good as done regardless of how long it takes to fulfill it. Spiritual blessing in the heavenly things with Christ, according as he has personally chosen us for himself before the foundation of the world. That means this. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was already set to be the sacrifice and the Lamb of God. Number one. Before the foundation of the world includes the book of life. See? And those who answer the call are predestined when they answer answer the call to be written in the book of life. Because the predestination is in the book. And answering the call. It's not that some are predestined by God before they're even born. Okay? Let's read it. According as he has personally, himself, God the Father, chosen us for himself before the foundation of the world, in order that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. That's the whole thing of the kingdom of God right there. Having predestinated us, that's according to his plan. So when our name is written in the book of life, when we repent and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, our name is there, and we are predestinated at that point for sonship, to himself through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his own will. Now that's something. You tie that in with 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 11, that the eye is not seen, the ear is not heard, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, It's going to be so fantastic. It's going to be something that is going to be amazing and astounding, that is going to be thrilling and great forever. Okay? To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us objects of his grace in the beloved Son. Okay? Isn't that something? We are the objects of the grace of God to give us access to him, to pray to him, to have our sins forgiven, to grow and overcome, to love God, to love the brethren. All of that comes from God. That's a tremendous thing. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sins, according to the riches of his grace, 
which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and intelligence. And isn't that what Jesus said? To you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Yes. How? Abound toward us in all wisdom and intelligence, having made known to us the mystery, just like Jesus said. It's been given to you to know the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he proposed in himself. Now think of that. The next time you get discouraged, next time you get down, the next time you have a little pity party for yourself, you open Ephesians and read the first chapter again. God loves you and has called you and wants you in his kingdom and he wants you to grow in grace and knowledge to the maximum extent that you can. And he will bless you in it and be with you in it. And we can look forward to the resurrection, see? Now notice that in the divine plan for the fulfilling of the times, and we're living in it right now, he might bring all things together in Christ, That's what the book of Revelation tells us, right? Both the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. Yes, in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestinated by that inheritance according to his purpose, who is working out all things according to his own will. Don't we pray that every day? Our Father in heaven, your name is hallowed. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let God's will be done in our lives, in our hearts and in our minds, so that we can be in the kingdom of God. That's what all of this is about, okay? Notice verse 12, that we might be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So this is what it means, the seven-week harvest. Now then, we will see tomorrow on Pentecost, the 50th day harvest. And all of these things that we have read today, which is our which are promises, will be fulfilled to the maximum degree possible. So see you tomorrow.